You're listening to The 123 Show with me, Noreen Mayer, this Friday afternoon. I'd like to welcome back to the studio Karen Cove for this week's Agenda Cafe. Karen, it's great to see you. How are you? Great. I'm, it's great to be back here, Noreen. Good to see you too. Yes. Um, you still worried about COVID or is things um, calmed down in your mind? I think things have definitely calmed down. It's a, it's a much better situation. I, I'm really, like everybody, kind of tired of the whole new normal. Wearing masks. Yes, yes. wearing masks and... That just that the sort of I don't know unmotivated feeling you know when you don't know when your life is going to get back to some kind of normal. That's right, so, and you know, and to be honest, we're not the only ones. There are also NGOs and charities which also face struggles. Yeah, uh, because of COVID nineteen. Yeah, exactly. So getting on to what we're going to talk about today. Um, no, so we had no show last week because we had a long holiday. We celebrated Labor Day last week. This weekend, we're celebrating Mother's Day. So you and I both labor, both work, we're both mums. Um, and actually, the reason we've been able to do that is is really in Hong Kong, because we have live-in domestic help. I mean, you wouldn't be able to just walk out your door and go to work um, unless you know someone is at home taking care of your kids, you know, doing the cleaning, doing the cooking. So we're very lucky. And so... When you think about it, you know, when you work for a company and you get pregnant, there's a process. You know, you talk to your employer about your maternity leave. You talk about how long you want to take off, when you're going to come back and, and in what capacity. But for domestic helpers, it's a really, it's a different situation. It's a lot more complicated. So today we're going to learn more about what happens to foreign domestic workers when they get pregnant, what happens to their babies and how both employers and helpers can learn more to find out what to do that is good for everybody. And we're delighted to be joined by Catherine Gerton, who is the CEO of Pathfinders. So Catherine, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. So for our listeners who don't know, tell us uh, more about exactly what Pathfinders is, <clears throat> what Pathfinders is and what it does. So um, we believe that every child in Hong Kong deserves a fair start in life. Um, so we are the only organisation in Hong Kong that's supporting the children born to um, migrant workers, uh, predominantly foreign domestic workers. Um, so uh, these children are particularly vulnerable and unsupported. Um, so that's that's our primary focus. That's why we exist, to support these children. And Pathfinders has actually been around for a long time. I believe you started in 2008. Is that right? Yes, yeah. correct. So in, in 2007, our founders, uh, Kylie and Melissa, actually discovered two um, former domestic workers, migrant workers, uh, living in extreme poverty in uh, chunking mansions with uh, very small children, babies. Um, and they could only afford to feed them rice water, the, mm, the wow. sort of the water coming off boiled rice. And they tried so many ways to try and help these 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 mothers and children, and nobody could help them. Nobody knew how. Right. Um, and that's how Pathfinders was founded. So we've been in existence uh, just over ten years, eleven, twelve years this 12 year. Twelve years, yeah. Um, and. And that you know we've achieved. I mean, I've only been with Pathfinders a year, but over the years, there's an incredible amount that's been achieved. Um, still more to do, mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah. And how's the situation evolved over time? I mean, both for um, uh, Pathfinders and also for the the helpers that you serve. Yeah, so I think initially for the first 10 years, it was very much about responding to the crisis. So, you know, very much our work is reliant on people knowing that we exist and that we're there to, to help them. Um, so over the sort of the first 10 years, we very much focused on um, on the different types of crisis that, that the women and, and the children fall into. It, that, you know, it's a very complicated area. Mm. And 
no two cases are the same. Um, so there's, there's been a lot of discovery about how we can best support um, each individual case dependent yeah. on their, 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 their crisis situation. Um, and then more recently, we've started to do more outreach because you know, fundamentally um, our ambition, um, hopefully by 2030, um, is to, to make ourselves redundant. Mm -hmm. We'd love not to have to exist because the problems no longer exist. Um, but the reality is to be able to do that, we have to focus on preventing the crisis from happening in the first place. So we've done some outreach over, over sort of the last sort of five years, but in the last couple of years, um, and certainly since I've sort of joined, we've started to do even more of that with that end ambition of, of being able to close our doors. Wow. Um, but that's awareness both amongst the workers themselves about kind of the importance of making well-planned life decisions while they're in Hong Kong and knowing that they have maternity rights like all women who work in Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, but also with the employers to um, to sort of understand the challenges that they face. You know, this relationship is a very unique relationship, as you mentioned at the beginning of um, in the introduction. It's a it's a very intimate employment, and so it's not easy for the employer when their worker becomes pregnant. Um, and fundamentally, the system isn't set up to support all the different stakeholders. Um, you know, fundamentally, most importantly, that that unborn child, and that's why that child then falls into certain sort of has certain risk factors that we're trying to prevent. Mm. Can we talk about the legal framework of what happens when um, a domestic worker becomes pregnant? What obligations uh, do employers really have? So um, it's it's unlawful. It's illegal to fire. A worker yes. once she becomes pregnant. Um, we see that some people do. Um, but simply because they don't know that it's illegal. I think there's a, a common misperception that you know this worker is on a two-year contract and she's not allowed to be pregnant during that two, two years, and that's just simply not the case. Um, we see cases of people um, being sort of forced to resign. You know, their working conditions become so terrible and unbearable yeah. that they, 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 they're forced to resign. Or they choose to resign because, you know, they don't know how to have that conversation with their employer. Mm. I mean, we we had a, and we're still trying to reach out to the mother, but we had a, a terrible case hit the, the press just a couple of weeks ago um, about a woman whose employer doesn't, didn't know she was pregnant. Um, she went into labor in the employer's home while the employer was out. Oh, yeah. um, and she bled out and, oh. and went into a coma. So the employer returned home to find oh the woman in a coma and the, the, the newborn baby girl next to her lifeless. And oh you know, these are not these are not uncommon um, occurrences. Yes. And so we also find that you know people you know they hide they conceal the pregnancy or they try to take action themselves so that nobody ever finds out um, and then they maybe go down the legal route in terms of abortion and we've again you know in terms of legal cases we've we've had to support a number of women who have gone that route in terms of for trying street abortions and then where does it occur in hong kong that's sort of well again we've had examples of it happening in the employer's home oh no oh, so wow. so all of these all of these sort of scenarios are well, they're just not necessary, they're preventable. If people understand that there's support and help and what they're, what they're, what, what's, what's open to them in terms of possibilities and choices in Hong Kong. Mm. And so that's why particularly our, our outreach work at the minute is, is so key. The challenge for us in terms of outreach is almost the more outreach we, we do and the more people that know about us, 
the more cases we get. Right. Um, and that was a case in point last year because we'd seen, um, as I, I joined in February and we sort of started to see some of the case numbers drop and we were like, wow, is this a cause for celebration? Are we kind of, you know, are we going to reach our ambitions so much sooner? Um, and we, um, we recruited this group of um, ambassadors incredible um, women in the foreign domestic worker community. They're sort of community leaders mm. in representing different groups um, in both the Indonesian and Philippine, Filipino community. Um, so we have 54 of these women now and they're sort of not so much at the minute going out into the street. They're using different ways of sort of engaging people through social media at the minute. But the moment that they started going out and having conversations, we saw our case numbers just Spike, right. start to go up again. So you know, for us, there's there's still a need and we just don't know how big that need is because we don't have data. You know, we've asked different, I think three or four different ways to different government departments, including the health authority, you know, how many pregnant foreign domestic workers give birth in Hong Kong hospitals. Mm. They don't collect that data. Oh. So we don't even know in terms of the success stories and people who don't fall into crisis and don't find their way to us, how many of those people there are. And certainly we only see the ones that have fallen into crisis. So it's, um, yeah. it's a bit of an un unknown. And, and we just it, want to fix it. You know, when you said earlier that all this is, is unnecessary, you know, it could, it could be just like um, a normal, I guess, I don't know if normal is the right word, but, you know, a corporate, you know, employment relationship. Like when you get pregnant, you have a discussion with your employer and it's all quite normal and it's, it's not... Um, it shouldn't be something that's surrounded with fear that you will lose your job. But because it because domestic workers are working in people's homes, I guess employers themselves are afraid because of course. they're afraid she won't be able to do her job anymore. Yeah. Um, is the baby going to be living in our home? Yeah. How am I going to get um, work done at home when she's on maternity leave in my home? Yeah. So. So how do you address those sort of employer concerns? And that's kind of a new, newer piece that we've started to do more, more recently um, because the employer is a, is a key stakeholder and their, their needs and their challenges are, are very real. I mean, when I joined um, Path for Finders, I was, I was previously with Save the Children, so very passionate about children's issues, but I never really had much exposure to domestic workers. Um, I have a, a foreign domestic worker at home, Auntie Celeste. She's incredible. I have a five-year-old and a six-year-old. I would not be working in Hong Kong if it, if it wasn't for her. And I sort of found myself as I joined Pathfinder thinking, well, what would I do right. if, if she wanted to have a child and, she, she, and she's entitled to 10 weeks of maternity leave? But during those 10 weeks, how do I care for my young family while still maintaining my job? Um, and you know, we met with uh, Dr. C.K. Law, the Secretary for Labour and Welfare, last year and, sort of, and then sort of put this to him because actually there aren't, there aren't very many legal options for, for employers. And right. often employers will try and sort of fudge around it and, and sort of, you know, maybe someone else's, uh, you know, worker is available and they can sort of, you know, share, which obviously isn't, uh, isn't, isn't, isn't illegal. Isn't legal, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so the only, the only legal option is to hire a local domestic worker. So the, I think the, the, the advoca uh, they're advocating that that rate should be around $150 per hour for a local domestic worker. So you're obliged to pay your foreign domestic worker four-fifths of her salary mm -hmm. while she's on maternity leave. But then to cover that 10 weeks, you need to pay Another $150 worker. an hour. So if I take my circumstance, that's eight to nine, eight to nine hours a day 
five days a week for 10 weeks. You know, the, the legislation is, is going through um, in terms of looking at that being extended to 14 weeks. So that's a kind of an extension of that. That's just unsurmountable for me. Mm. So I, my options are really, really limited. So you can you can see that there are there are issues on on both sides. Um, the other challenges you were highlighting before support the live-in rule. I mean, that is an exemption um, to the live-in rule uh, if you're pregnant. We've tried seven or eight times. Um, so if the domestic helper um, becomes pregnant, she can live out. But she has to apply for an exemption. From the immigration? From, from the Labour... I think it's the Labour Department. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. But the process is not very clear. Mm. Um, and it takes an exorbitant amount of time. So we've tried a number of times. The challenge is three months down the line, when you still haven't got a decision, the baby's already here. Right. What do you do? Um, and the employer has... Uh, an obligation, a legal obligation for the worker to live in their home, but they have no obligation to house the child. Right. So we've seen cases where a p perfectly healthy child has been kept in hospital for six, seven, eight weeks while documentation is sorted out to try and, you know, get that child home. Wow. So, and it's not ideal for anyone. It's not ideal for, particularly for the child who hasn't got that connection with their mother to have that, you know, important bonding time in those in those early early days and, and weeks. Um, so that there are all sorts of there are all sorts of challenges. And so I think where where we're really trying to focus our effort now, in that you know we've got all this great experience and all of our services are set up to deal with crisis. How can we stop it? How can we prevent it from happening? Yeah, yeah. Um, and the employer is 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 key. Um, so we're you know trying to brainstorm ideas. For example, with the Fair Employment Agency, you know, could we look at some kind of maternity relief cover for that period? You know, is there a possibility of doing that without having to sort of seek some kind of legislative change? Because that would just that would, would take forever. Would, would take forever. Yeah. So is there a solution there that we can try and explore um, with the live-in um, exemption? Um, I think it's just an agreement between the Labour Department and Immigration Department and just greater clarity. You know, so we think that that's possible to get. We, we, we were hopeful last year that we would get that. Um, but obviously with sort of the protests and, protests and, and, and then more recently with COVID, virus, obviously yeah. the government have a lot, lot of other things on, on their minds. But still, that's something we really we desperately want, because with those just with those two pieces, we could mm. we could prevent so much crisis. Catherine, I know you mentioned just now that no two stories are the same, um, but the other side of the, the, the pregnancy is the father. Are some of these fathers uh, local people? Could they offer um, a home for the child? I mean, uh, what are some of the cases that you've come across? It's very, it's very individual. It's very individual. Um, it's, you know, quite a few of the fathers have Hong Kong permanent residents. If they choose to acknowledge the child, which many of them don't mm -hmm. then there are all sorts of options in terms of being able to support that mother to get a sort of a you know that status that for status, the child yes. that opens up all sorts of opportunities for that child um but often you know these are the, the pregnancies come about outside of a, a sort of a, a marriage in sort of unforeseen or unplanned or sort of um terms where it hasn't been a conscious decision to have a child because right. sometimes you, the, these men maybe just take off and really these ladies are essentially left to be single moms yeah and you know if you if you've been if you've been if you've been if you've got multiple people that you're supporting back home in Indonesia or the Philippines and 
um, you've met someone who you're in love with and they're sharing you with affection on your only day off and you've kind of, you know, they've promised you this, the that world. and the other and, yeah. and you've, you've believed them and you fell and then, then they've, that you've got pregnant and they've disappeared and yes. maybe your family doesn't know that you have this relationship. They're, they're not going to welcome you with open arms um, as an unemployed single mother you know, with a with a with child. child, it's it's yeah. so you cannot really understand why why some of these women do keep it a secret, keep it a secret yes. because until they can't until they can't keep it a secret anymore, and then that's when the crisis happens. So that's why you know a lot of the outreach that we do within the worker community is is very much sort of you know, be aware of love scams. Don't believe everything that you you're told. Mm. I mean, you you a lot of increasingly are are. are our mothers are from um, Indonesia. And I think the challenge is that um, often the level of um, education, you know, mm. sex education is, is very limited, if not non-existent. Um, and particularly in uh, sort of villages or, or small communities where there's a very patriarchal society and maybe the father has made all of the decisions for that, for that for that of her his daughter including who she's going to marry and then the husband has made all the decisions and then they've made the decision that she should go to hong kong to work but she's not prepared mm. for what she will experience when she gets here and you know anyone arriving in first time for, for the first time in hong kong from a from a small you know, it's, it's overwhelming, overwhelming yeah. um and you know you're at the whim of how kind and there and how much value your employer sees in you you have one day off a week um and you're lonely yes Um, and we've seen so many examples it's just heartbreaking of women who are approached by similar men on a sunday in the parks and showered with affection and they think oh this person loves me you know one particular story comes to uh, uh, a client comes to mind to you know She's just like, well, no, I still love him, but she knows that he's having a relationship with at least two other women really? in the community wow. because you know she's just like, but he makes me feel good. Yeah. It's 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 hard. She's it's so hard lonely because yeah. she's so lonely. So yeah. it's it's difficult. It's so easy for people to judge these circumstances. Yes, exactly. But when you really sort of put yourself in these people's in these women's shoes, um, y- you can see how this happens. Mm. And so really, what we're trying to do is is to, is to sort of say, look. Nobody's saying, don't fall in love. Um, nobody's saying, don't you know, don't you know, don't have the relationship. Just if you want to have a pregnancy, do it in an intentional way, because if it's intentional and it's planned, then you're not going to get into a crisis situation. Mm. I mean, these men that you talk about, are they? Why do they do this? I mean, just they get a thrill out of it, you know, having. Having approaching several women who they know are kind of easy prey. I I I don't know. I wish I could get inside the minds of uh, inside Maybe their minds. Maybe they're also lonely, and then when when they then find out that there's going to be a child maybe they get they, cold feet of and course. panic yeah. yeah so you know you, you you're probably a little bit kinder with your thing yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I would say they're just preying on them because well, they yes. can and because it's yeah. they're easy target yeah and you know one of our core principles or guiding values is is non-judgmental so we, yes. we try very hard to not sort of but you know it's 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 very difficult because the consequence of what these you know we we, we certainly huge. know of one character um who has fathered multiple 
children. Really? And we can't hold him to account. Oh, gosh. So it's... it's um, what a pig. And he's, he, and he's <laughs> a local... He's, he's a local Hong Kong Chinese PR oh. holder. You know, so it's... It, for him, it's just like a conquest thing, or, or I think so. I don't know. I, just, I don't know whether there's no consequence. No consequence. There's no yeah. consequence. Yes. Yeah. Um, no consequence. Oh, there will be consequences. <laughs> We're gonna well, yep. find him. Karma will get him. But also, as well, you know, again, as I said, our, our approach is non-judgmental, mm. and so you know, it's not our place to sort yes. of hold. Because at the end of the day, we, we did we did meet with the um, anti. Uh, deception unit at the police force because we're like you know in many respects this is a con con. this is a love scam um and and they were sort of saying well when it comes to financial scams or love scams that that there is an exchange of money Mm. it's much easier to prove to prove it whereas when it's relationship based it's very much he said she said and as i said to you before there's one case that i'm very aware of with one of these particular gentlemen who's fathered a number of children and she wouldn't dream because she still loves him of reporting reporting him or turning him in wow so it's it's very it's very it's it's very desperate. It's very complicated. <laughs> yeah. Crime um, of the heart and actual crime. It's, anyway, yeah. we'll, we'll return to this <laughs> okay. uh, very interesting discussion after the 2.30 News uh, with Catherine Gurton, the CEO of Pathfinder. Welcome back. You're listening to the Agenda Cafe this Friday afternoon with me, Karen Coe and Noreen Mir. And today we are talking with Catherine Gurton, CEO of Pathfinders, and we're learning a lot about what happens in the domestic foreign worker community when some of these workers uh, get pregnant. So, Catherine, we were talking about a very common scenario before where a helper who's working full-time in Hong Kong for a family gets pregnant and out of lack of knowledge or fear or whatever, she gets terminated. She gets Mm. fired from her job, which is not legal, but it it happens a lot. What happens to her then? Well, so immediately she becomes homeless. Um, because she's, you know, her space of residence is, is with her employer. Um, within two weeks, she loses her visa status. So if she doesn't leave Hong Kong, and, and many choose not to for fear of persecution for returning home as an unemployed single mother with you know, potentially a mixed-race child, which in some of the communities that they return to is just, just not acceptable. Um, she loses access to all public services, so welfare, health care, which is vital for prenatal screening. Um, at that point, if she's overstayed, she's here illegally. Um, if the mother finds us at that point, some don't, but if the mother finds us at that point, um, we would help her to surrender. Um, and then we would be able to get some sort of temporary papers so that we can sort of help her figure out the best path for, for her and, and most importantly, the best path for for, path, uh, for her for her child. What does surrender mean? Surrender. So we would take her to immigration and we would basically just, just declare that she's still in Hong Kong, but she shouldn't, she shouldn't be. Mm. I mean, one of the cases... And um, the government gives her sort of an extension. There's sort of an extension. There's sort of an extension of a cognizance paper. I mean, some people choose to um, apply for asylum. Right, right. So this is something in, different from asylum. It's like a separate category? Yeah, there's kind of, there's, this is kind of sort of a short term, just sort of stop gap. I think there's sort of an extension. I can't remember. How, this is why our case managers are so exceptional, because they are, um, we were sort of talking about this earlier, but they, they are experts in so many different types of issues, whether it be employment law or immigration law mm. or kind of criminal law. Um, but yeah, they can get it. They can get an extension. So it just gives us time to try and sort of figure out and, and help. Um, some, if they've, if they've overstayed, um, they just go underground. 
Um, so they're here illegally. Um, maybe they haven't applied for asylum. Um, one of our and they will have no access to medical to, to the hospitals because they're here illegally. No. So yeah. one of our one of our some of our current clients. So the mother had overstayed by thirty years. Thirty years. Thirty years. And she managed to stay like in the underground. Yeah, economy, she was sort of jumping from place to place and, and working sort of odd, 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 odd jobs. Odd jobs. Um, uh, she has a 28-year-old and a 27-year-old daughter. Who are both uh, also illegal, technically. Have right? no birth certificates. Wow. Have never been to school. Have never been to a hospital. I mean, these are young women who... Um, no who ID cards. All, wow. For all intents and purposes, they don't exist. Um, That's amazing. So I think the, the, they got to a point where they just they just didn't want to live like this anymore and they heard about Pathfinders and, and, and they came to us. And they were also fearful of, 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 of making themselves known because, you know, they've broken the law and there mm. are consequences. So um, we have a, a sort of a, a, legal, a legal arm, Equal Justice, which do incredible work. Um, so they sort of got some lawyers on board to try and sort of figure out how we could get these, these ladies on, on probation. It was very, very um, strange for, particularly for the girls who, don't have any documents. I don't have any identity, and um, so so the mother was released on released on bail. But for these women, you know, for example, we gave one of them um, just a small amount of money to go into a shop and buy a drink mm. because she's never had that level of independence. Um, they were always sort of hiding. Always hiding. Wow. And Worried they'd get caught. And yeah. you know, school, school is about socialising, yes. not yeah. only learning but building relationships. Yeah. And you know, they they they, they just they haven't just didn't had have that, that opportunity. So it's absolutely. I mean, I um, I take a lot of. I take a lot of hope and comfort from that story because um, so um, one of the, one of the girls joined us for our Christmas party. We do a, a joint sort of staff anniversary um, party, and she's really into photography. She's very interested, and um, so we'd had a camera donated, um, and she came to our Christmas party and was taking all of the photographs. Um, and you could just see her starting to come into her own and to blossom. Um, so it just you know it's those sorts of things that there is you know there is hope. Um, and when they find us, we can help them find a path to right. a future where they can thrive. But the challenge for us at Pathfinders is that the earlier that we can get involved in a case, the better the outcome is for the child. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and That's you know, why your outreach work yeah. is so, so important. important. Yeah. And, it's, and it's really interesting. When you go to donors, we, so we, um, we don't get any government funding. We are um, solely supported by the community, individuals, companies, foundations. But it's really interesting when you go out and you're asking for donations, you sort of, everyone wants to sort of know about the crisis mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, how many children are you helping and what are the circumstances right. that they're falling into. Um, but the moment that you start talking about prevention, people almost kind of, they're not so interested. Not so interested mm -hmm. because it's not so, it doesn't sort of pull at the heartstrings in the same way. But, you know, it's so fundamental. It, it really, you know, they always say... That we don't want it to get to that We don't yeah. want it to get to prevention that Prevention is better than um, cure. Yeah, there's, there's a pound of prevention is a, you know, yeah. whatever yes. the... prevention. Ounce of yeah, pound yeah, of cure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's that, that principle. And really, our ambition is only achievable if we do the prevention piece, if we influence systemic change, policy mm. change, if we ensure that all workers know their rights, they're intentionally sort of making well-planned life decisions, that the employer knows what to do when the worker is pregnant, that they have options to help them, you know, maintain their own household priorities, mm. because it's, you know, it's, it's difficult for everyone involved. And yeah. it's, you know, with imagination, with collaboration, it's so possible yes, to get there. Yes, it shouldn't be something that's impossible to solve. No. 
but again, it, it's just one of those those situations that exist, and everybody sort of lives with it and and dances around it, and it never actually gets properly addressed. Yeah, I'm like, but I'm like a dog with a bone. <laughs> So I think that's why I, you know, that's why I feel so passionate because you know the for me I've always really enjoyed I've always thrived I've got a lot of I get a lot of energy from bringing different stakeholders together and saying well what's your problem okay well what's your perspective on this problem well surely there's there's somewhere in the middle that this this all makes sense can we not find a solution and I I really we really believe that it's solvable um, but it does take everybody coming together as a community. Yeah. to move it forward and I think if Hong Kong has demonstrated anything in this recent virus a, a virus situation it is that ability to come together for a greater good mm. um, so I'm very optimistic but then I'm a, I'm a bit of a hopeful hopeless optimist the other thing that the other question that you know I didn't know the answer to is what if a if a child of one of these helpers is born in Hong Kong uh, what are they in terms of citizenship or or resident? Can uh, do they have the right to stay in Hong Kong? Again, it very much depends. It goes back to this whole unique unique case. It very much depends on on a whole sort of different uh, array of array of factors. Um, it also depends on the goodwill of their employer. Um, so you know we you know we do hear stories of where uh, you know a child has been born. The employer has been very supportive. The employer is kind of you know. You know, almost sort of sponsored that child as a dependent, so the child can stay with the with the with the mother. And they, you know, if you can afford and you have the space, you can make it work. But that's not the reality for many Hong Kong mm. families. And and you know, we're looking at a population of around four hundred thousand foreign domestic workers, a majority of who are women of childbearing age. By twenty forty seven, the government are projecting that there will be around six hundred thousand workers because that's the solution to help us deal with an aging population. Right. So if you're a working mother like I am, or you're a daughter with elderly parents that need somebody, there, there are no other real options for you in terms of caring for those those nearest and dearest. So you can't, you just can't, you can't do without some kind of support helped, yeah. for that, 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 that period of time that your worker is on maternity but she also has a right to have a family as well as to kind of you know support you with your family so it's it's very it's, it's a it's a very unique very difficult very challenging dynamic, dynamic but yeah. it's not unsolvable um with mm. with the right with the right approach or the right attitude um, to, to just getting it fixed. So if the family, the employer family sponsors the child, then the child automatically gets access to health care and can go to school in Hong Kong. So that's the that's the status of that child. That's the status of the child. Yes. Yeah. Or usually the the child follows this, or not usually always the child follows the status of the mother. So for example, if a if a mother is chosen to seek for asylum, um, then the child is also then following her an status and asylum seeker. Right. So on that basis, the mother and the child can get um, social welfare support very minimal. Okay. Um, the mother is not entitled to work. Right. The child can uh, because if, she's essentially a. Uh, an asylum, asylum seeker, seeker. so you yeah. can't work. Yes, so you can't work. Um, the child can access education if they're at, at, at that age. But even if they were to sort of complete all of their education in Hong Kong, they'll never be able to work right. because they're an asylum seeker. Yeah. So, and rent is so expensive in rent, Hong Kong, yes. and it's, uh, with the amount, the tiny amount of money they get from the government from CSSA, 
how is that going to even support them yeah, realistically? And, and I think the challenge is, so I, um, between Save the Children and, and Pathfinders, I, I did a, a couple of months of volunteering with the Centre for Refugees, another incredible organisation, and, and you see some of the, the, the refugees that are escaping persecution. Yes. You know, they're running for their lives. Um, that's what the system is set up to do. And those cases, if they're successful, are the ones that will get refugee status. Um, you know, in Hong Kong, I think only one percent of one percent of asylum seekers gets refugee exactly. status. Yeah. If you're from the Philippines or you're from Indonesia, you are never going to get that status. So you're living in this sense of limbo. Um, you know. For for many years, as as the as the uh, unified screening mechanism, as I understand it, passed from the UNHCR to to the government, mm -hmm. this process of appeal, people kind of continued to stay because they would appeal, and then that would kind of. But as I understand it, you know that process may sort of be sped up. So there, I think it's about fifty percent of our, our client base. You've got these there's these women and children who are living in in Hong Kong that face being deported. At any any day, any yes, day. Yeah. Um, you know, potentially with as little as three days' notice, if that child has been in Hong Kong for six, seven, eight years, this is their home. Yeah. First yeah. and foremost. Secondly, they have never been to their mother's home, home country. country. Mm -hmm. They most likely don't speak their, their mother's tongue, um, and who knows whether they're going to be received or accepted when they go home. So, from the child's perspective, Hong Kong is their home. Yeah, yeah. but it's but it's. It, yeah, it's difficult. It is, and it isn't because they've not been accepted. Not and because their mother has chosen yes. to go this route. Yes. Um, and I think that's the other challenge is, is it's a sort of cause and effect, consequence of decisions. And, you know, when we speak to some of some of the ladies, they're like, oh, I didn't actually realise what I was what I was deciding because yeah. my friend told me this was a good idea and that I would be able to get some social welfare and it seemed like the right thing to do. And now I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. um, actually, the, the consulates, Philippines and Indonesian consulates are amazing partners. Um, and, you know, when we come across these situations where we're like, actually, this person would like to go home. Can we sort of figure this out? They're, you know, open arms to try and to sort of uh, accommodate. So just a sense of limbo. You know, anyone that knows anything about child development knows that that first, it's particularly so, that first four years, they need security. They need stability. Yeah. Eighty percent of a child's adult brain is developed in that in those formative years. So you know, as quickly as possible, get getting them into a safe, permanent, loving home yeah. is is, they feel is secure. fundamental. Yeah. Do do they? Does the Hong Kong government realise the extent of some of these problems and how complicated they are? And and are they interested in solving them? Yes. I mean, I think. I think. There's so much that, that, that so many needs in, in Hong Kong's and sometimes it's the case whoever shouts the loudest. And I think the other challenge that we have is data. It's being able to say this, yeah. this equals this. And so data is really important for us to make a, a strong, compelling. The government compelling, is big on data. Yes. Yes. You've got to give them the numbers give and them the, the evidence. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't collect the data. Yeah. So it's kind of like we're caught a little bit between a rock and a hard place. And I think the reality is that um, we want to go to them with solutions and then to partner with them to realize that solution in the best interest of the children. Um, I think I think that's the, the best approach. I think that's the only approach in, in this. We, you know, we want to work with, with the system yeah. to get the best opportunities for these children so that they not only survive, but they thrive um, and they have a, an opportunity to reach their full potential. 
um, because many of them just aren't getting that. And you know, as I started, fast finders, that's our, our you know our mission, fair start in life. We're not even talking best, right? Fair, good prenatal care, born in a hospital birth certificate, receiving an immunization, having kind of responsive caregiving and a loving parent. You know, we do some education classes around positive parenting because, again, you know, I think you both are parents. No one tells you how to be a parent. Exactly. And it's hard. It's hard. Um, yes. So again, it's the hardest you know, job you'll ever do. <laughs> and you don't get paid for it. <laughs> yeah. And if, you, if you're a mother that didn't plan this... And so, all of the other, you know, and you're depressed maybe because of the circumstances and no that you're in, and no, yeah. and you're, no family. Yes. Yeah, so we try and do sort of you know, positive parenting or just to, to help these women sort of give that child the, the best nurturing care and early, early stimulation as well in terms of how just to be, how to be a good parent. Because yeah. I, don't, I didn't choose my parents. None of us choose our parents. I That's mean, right. I, yeah. I, I count my blessings daily that the parents I have are, yeah. are mine, but. Yeah. You know, I could have very easily been one of these. You know, my children could have been very easily been Absolutely. one of these children, yeah. and they just deserve um, a, fair, a fair start. Yeah. So tell us a bit more about some of the um, activities that you're doing and how people can help or how people can find out more. I mean, I think just getting educated is so important because we all realised how little we knew about what the facts are. Awareness is so key. It's so key. No, you know, so that's why our outreach is so important. Um, we're in the process of finalising our, our new website that has an education portal component to it so that if you're an employer or a worker, you can go on and see what some of the standard questions are and answers that are being asked. We have a hotline as well for, for people to call if they, if, they, if they need to sort of... Again, it's difficult at the minute because we've just seen our hotline numbers go up and up and up um, at a time when fundraising is, is challenging for us. You know, we've had to cut our budgets, I think, about... 25% uh, so far because our annual fundraiser which brings in 30% of our income we don't know if it's going to go ahead mm. so in a time when we're seeing the needs increasing we're having to tighten our belts and, and potentially scale back on services that are in increasing demand so it's a real kind of catch-22 so we're trying to do as much as we can um, to create sustainable outreach models so the website is part of that mm -hmm. our ambassadors is also part of that because if we can empower women in the community to support other women in the community, then we can run a skeleton service where we kind of give kind of content and direction and then they just spread yeah. the message so for us. So you train us. them in Yeah, it's in called tra train, train the trainers. Train the trainers. It's a great <laughs> so model. We, we train yeah. them, then they go out and have conversations and, and train others. And, you know, what we found is that these, and they're amazing women, that they, they, they bridge, they bridge um, the community to Pathfinders. You know, we have a hotline. It takes so much confidence for someone to pick up the phone to and on a, to someone on the other end of the phone that they don't know anything about and don't know how that that conversation is going to be received. And having these women go into the community and they're from the community, going into the community, having these conversations and often bringing the ladies to our to our community centre to sort of have these conversations is it's so That's powerful because they're trusted and they're trusted yeah. and they and and they're from the community. You know, this 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 sense of needing to be culturally sensitive is is really important and actually a lot of the the education for workers here isn't culturally or linguistically sensitive. You know, we talked about family planning earlier and we work very closely with the family planning. Um, uh, Susan and her team are, are, are fantastic. They're not open on a Sunday. 
Right. So that's this, the day off. And, yeah. you know, we talk, we've talked to Susan about how she could extend it. But again, it's funding from their point of view. They've only got so much. So our, our target is not their target. And of course, we've only got so much, but we also don't want to be duplicating efforts. So if there's someone else that has an expertise in that area. Yeah, you should use that. Then we should use that. Um, so it's, it, yeah, it's um, resource limiting. There's so much more we can do and we want to do, but we're trying to find ways of doing it in a sustainable cost-effective way that still has the desired outcome but um it's very prudent with 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 donors with donors mm. funding because um yeah we've got a sometimes lot of sometimes they're restricted funding too so you've got to have a specific project that they give you the money for it might be a handsome amount but you have to then deliver that particular project and it's not flexible you can't use it for other things yeah, yeah. and i think that comes i think that's been a real uh, a real highlight of of this is is just that trust um because it is very restricting for us and you know certainly in this current environment we've had to completely pivot mm. to how we deliver our services yeah. um, tell us more about what you've had to do with coronavirus yeah so i mean obviously our, our pregnant ladies can can't not be out in the community so we've had loads of donations with masks and um, to protect our staff as well because our staff often need to accompany them um, our health clinic has been doing kind of video consultations and but again there's only so much you can do you know if you're trying to screen someone from postnatal depression you don't necessarily pick up on all the cues if you're having kind of a video a video conference. Our outreach team has been incredibly creative. That's better than what the government do. But, or, or oh. They just give you a, a piece of paper, you just check it before you leave the hospital and they call you and follow up, just ask you, are you okay? True. Mm -hmm. and, yes. and, and that's one video of, is already one step up, well done. Yeah, but again, that's another thing that we've got to be very careful of because we don't want to offer something that's better than what, what's sort of accessible to others in, in the community. So it's a really, it's a really, it's a really it's good that you're offering something better. Yeah, yes. it's, a, it's, a, it's a really, really fine balance. Um, um, as a sort of Zoom and Google Hangouts has become the new normal for our outreach team, um, social media, Facebook. Yeah. Um, we did um, we did have um, uh, someone do a sort of a podcasting uh, training for our ambassadors mm -hmm. uh, just to give them another skill because we have a we have a basic training in our messages and then we have an advanced training on different on different things. You know your emotional health because if they're identifying cases, they need some support, support yeah. um, communications if they're doing presentations podcasting was something that seemed to that seemed to resonate with them um, um, but yeah so there's, there's lots of different things that we're trying to do in, in different ways we've got one 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 of our ambassadors Rodelia she's incredible she has a Facebook following of I think like 68,000 wow. workers <laughs> wow. and it's really she's in the Filipino community and then there's this other lovely lady um her name is Hina uh, from the Indonesian community and actually what's really powerful we were talking in one of our team meetings this week is that they've started to have a connection to see what it is that they can be sharing between the different communities mm. so yeah. it, it just they're like this, the power players the, yes. the, the key opinion leaders of yeah, yeah it's just but they're the sparks yes. you know that's that's you what's that. that's what's so exciting working with these these, these women because they just they're so passionate mm. and they can achieve so much if if you know if, if given a little bit of support and guidance so yeah. it's um yeah no the, yeah so it's we're, we're trying lots of different things as is as i know lots of lots of people are but um Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Finally, on um, Sunday, I know you have an event. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I think this just in the spirit of using Zoom and, and being a bit more virtual. And the Sunday is, is Mother's Day, um, and so you know, with this sort of concept that all mothers matter as much as all children matter, and um, we wanted to sort of do an event that brings together the employer and the worker, because you know, really, 
to be successful, that relationship is so so key. So we're doing a joint online and um, online event on Sunday. I think it's over lunchtime, um, and people can find out more about it on our on our Facebook page and sign up and, and get involved. We do have I think Lily Lemon have sponsored two yoga mats, so oh, nice. I think there's a lucky draw for those as well. Yes. In case anybody that's in the Remind our listeners once again, Catherine. How can they find out more about Pathfinders? Have you got a website and a Facebook page and social media? Yeah, so we um we have a website, just pathfinders.org.hongkong. Um, and social media, the handle is the same for Facebook, Instagram. We actually now have a TikTok account. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we oh, did it because that's very popular with the Filipinas. Very popular. Um, so we did, and we did an international Women's Day dance challenge, which oh. was very well. But that's uh, the, all the handles are the same. It's Pathfinders HK. Fantastic. Excellent. So, well, Catherine, um, amazing work that you're doing. I mean, you. definitely much needed. Well, the team, the team and the is team. doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shout incredible. out to the team. Yeah, huge. And you know, really just to help this this um, section of the population that really doesn't have much of a voice and and needs the support. So thank you so much, Catherine. We've been speaking with Catherine Gerton, CEO of Pathfinders in Hong Kong.